Good morning. Today we are in our second to last week in the sermon series on Paul's letter to the Romans. These last few Sundays of this series where we are taking a look at Romans 12 and 13 and 14 are a shift in this letter. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans setting up what is to come in these chapters 12 to the end. And it's important for us as we look at these chapters here at the end of Paul's letter to remember what Paul has laid out before. The community in Rome that Paul is writing to reflects a diverse group of people that is a result of God's action in the world through Christ. When Paul discusses salvation in Romans, he refers to the manner in which God has revealed God's people as composed of Jews and Gentiles. He summarizes this right at the outset of the letter in chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He writes to the community in Rome reminding them how God, through Christ, has intervened in the world and reconciled them to God in order to create a people of God composed of all nations. Throughout these first 11 chapters, we find some of the most often quoted reminders of God's redemptive work in the world through Christ, such as Romans 5.8, that God proves or God demonstrates God's love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And one of my favorite passages, Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If Romans 1 through 11 tells a story of a faithful God working in Christ and by the Spirit to create a holy, peaceful, loving, and diverse community, then Romans 12 through 15 spells out the way for that community formed by God's grace to live faithfully with one another in the world. We heard a couple weeks ago in Romans 12, the beginning of these instructions. Paul begins with the very personal by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. He starts with the self and God. He says, in light of everything I just said, offer yourselves to God. Offer your body to God. But then Paul goes on to expand that to what a faithful life in the community with God's people looks like. And this is where Haley picked up last week in talking about genuine love. A love that becomes vulnerable. A love that risks up close to one another. Paul then continues to expand, like concentric circles expanding wider and wider to what a faithful life in public looks like. Not just a faithful life between me and God, and not just a faithful life between me and others within the community of faith, 
but now a faithful life in the public. Where our text for today picks up is right on the heels of a part of Romans that the Revised Common Lectionary, which we've been following, does not cover in this series. But it's an important part of this shift to living our faith in public. In the beginning of chapter 13, Paul talks about being subject to authorities. Basically, how do we interact with the authoritative structures that we encounter within society? And how do we do that in a way that reflects a faithful life in Christ? Now, that part of Romans 13 can be a bit controversial or confusing at times, so I'm not too terribly sad that it's not part of our text for today. But that being said, verse 7, which directly precedes our text, says, Pay to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. And then our text continues with, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Paul follows up his instructions about authorities, taxes, revenues, and pivots to relationships in the public sphere. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul is saying don't just love in that genuine, vulnerable, risky way that we talked about last week with those in your own community, but do that with others too. Those you encounter out in the world, those that you come close to, love them too. Paul goes on to say the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of these commandments that Paul lists have to do with others. Adultery, murder, stealing, coveting. And then, of course, he just casually throws in there and all the other commandments. They are all summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is calling us to a life of faith that isn't just about me and my own personal love for God. This call to loving our neighbors witnesses to God's love that expands outward. It breaks through the boundaries that have become norms. In Judaism, those boundaries were righteous and sinner, the boundaries of Jew and Gentile. The call to love our neighbor is not an escape from all these other commandments and our duties to one another. In fact, it is a call to live even more intentionally, even more faithfully with attention to the needs of others. But why? Why would we do this? Why would we take that risk to be vulnerable up close to others? I thought this was a life of faith and grace, not a list of rules. At this point, the list Paul has written is getting pretty long. If you remember last week, Haley pointed out that our text of only 11 verses had 30 commandments. And as we continue here in chapter 13, we've just added some more. But we do not love our neighbors as ourselves because some rules or laws tell us to do so. We love our neighbors as ourselves because of the radical and welcoming love we have experienced in Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 1 through 11 was all about. 
We are not called to be rule followers. We are called to experience and understand the deep love that undergirds and upholds all the commandments of God. And by intimately being known and loved by our God, we then extend that and share that love with the world. This is the transformation that Paul is talking about in chapter 12. Not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. To be transformed by the love of God. This is the ongoing work, the transformation we experience because of the love of God in our lives. I remember when I first graduated from high school, I moved to Florida, just outside Tampa, to attend a one-year Bible college. Going into that program, I knew it was going to be incredibly intense, and there was going to be a lot of rules about what we could and could not do, what we could wear, what we could watch, what we could listen to. Everything about our lives there was structured, when to wake up, when to read our Bibles, when to study, when to serve, when to sleep, everything completely structured. And we had to sign a paper that said we would follow these rules, not just when we were on campus, but when we were off campus, when we would go home for breaks. There were things like not using playing cards, not going to the movie theater, uh, we had to wear skirts or dresses to class, and we couldn't listen to music in our dorm rooms. When I was a student there, I remember any time a rule was questioned, the response was something like, because the Bible says so. Even though most of the time, they could not actually show us where in the Bible it said so. Or they'd give some roundabout reasoning. And what I witnessed in my classmates, and even in myself at times, was that these rules that we were supposed to be committed to following, that bred a spirit of apathy at best in us. And at, at worst, it bred a spirit of rebellion. A couple of years later, after completing that program, I went on to study at Whitworth University. Go Bucks, John Johnson, are you here? Thank you. Um, <clears throat> when I arrived on campus there, I was so surprised at the lack of rules we had to follow. I couldn't figure out how that would work in such a large community. And I remember very vividly during my freshman orientation, the president of the university at the time saying something that really shook me, something that surprised me. He said that they were not interested in students just being good rule followers, but rather they were interested in students becoming good decision makers. That as students learn and grow and have experiences and encounter different kinds of people at university, that they would be compelled to make wise, loving decisions for the betterment of the community. One might say that they are being transformed into the kind of people that make decisions that reflect their love for their neighbor. This seems to me what the book of Romans has been all about. Paul doesn't just jump in at the beginning with a long list of rules to follow or things to do. Instead, he reminds us of the love that we experience in Jesus Christ that transforms us into the kind of people that live and act in relationship with our God, our community, and our neighbors with genuine love. In the final part of our text for today, Paul brings a sense of urgency to the instructions he has given. He says, besides this, you know what time it is, how it is already the moment for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, 
the day is near. Paul is basically saying, hey, wake up. Or as the message translation puts it, be up and awake to what God is doing. Be up and awake to what God is doing. Paul is saying that God is up to something in our world. And we better, as one of my favorite early 90s movies, Sister Act 2 says, we better wake up and pay attention. I won't sing it for you. Um, but now it's running through my head. <laughs> I'm a little bit distracted by it. Um, we better wake up and pay attention. The life that is transformed by the love of God and lived in genuine love for God, neighbor, and self is a life that participates in the redemptive work that God is up to in the world. But we must wake up and pay attention. Yes, the salvation of God, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ is happening now in our lives and in the lives of others each and every day. And it's ongoing in all of creation and humanity until the day that Christ returns. And the invitation for us is to participate. But we cannot participate in complacency or apathy. We can't participate while staying within our little circles and ignoring that life, ignoring the life that is going on out in the world, out among our neighbors, in our communities. We can't participate if we don't pay attention to where God is already at work. And friends, God is at work. This we can be confident of. Just about one year ago, in the fall of 2022, the team here at John Knox um, that was working on the Thriving Congregations Initiative invited the congregation, both from our English-speaking service and our Spanish-speaking service, to reflect on where they saw God at work in their own lives, here in the church, and in the life of the community. And it was so beautiful to sit through and read response after response of the many ways that God is working all around us all around you. One of the most remarkable things was the overwhelming number of folks who responded with something related to seeing God at work in the children and youth in their lives, in the church, and throughout the community. I don't know about you, but that's really exciting to me. It's exciting to know that God is at work among us, especially in the younger folks in this room and in our communities. It's certainly not the only area that God is at work, but there was an undeniable thread as we read those responses, one that I want to pay attention to, and one that I want to participate in. A year later, what would we say? Where do you see God at work? And how is God calling you to participate in that work? If we're not sure how to answer that, Paul's exhortation to us is to wake up and pay attention. Paul reminds us, though, that we don't do this on our own. He reminds us to throw off the works that take place in the shadows, leave no room for works of hate, disunity, quarreling, jealousy, but instead put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the message translation says this so well. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. This is the only way we can fully follow these instructions, to do this in and through Jesus Christ. As we embody this community formed by God's grace, living faithfully with one another, 
and faithfully in the world, loving our neighbors, doing no wrong to our neighbors. This is how we put on Jesus Christ. This is how we come out of the shadows and live in the day, the day of God's salvation. And friends, that day is now. The salvation of our God is here. So let us love our neighbors as ourselves. Let us wake from our sleep and let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us join the work that God is already up to in the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you are up to something. And God, we pray that we would respond to your invitation, that we would respond to participate with you in what you are doing in this world. God, give us the courage and the strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, may you receive all the glory and all the honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.